Hi friends, and welcome to the Timeless Motherhood podcast, where we talk about biblical motherhood that doesn't cave to culture and has stood the test of time. I'm your host, Kaylee Weikbrot, and today we're going to be talking about stoking fires of intimacy with the Lord and the single greatest ingredient in having true intimacy with Him, which I believe is fearing God. Timeless Motherhood is not just a podcast, it's also a live stream. So if you're listening to this from a different podcasting platform like Spotify or Apple Podcasts, just know that every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern, we record the episode live on YouTube Live. And you can come interact in the comments. You can post prayer requests so we can pray for you. And it's a great way to get connected with the Timeless Motherhood community. So you might be wondering how fearing God can lead to intimacy because typically we might think that if we fear somebody, we probably aren't very close to them, but it's actually quite the opposite with God. And I'm going to show you how, but I want to start with this question. Has the fire in your intimacy with the Lord dimmed or was it lit to begin with? I have an amazing quote from a pastor named Smith Wigglesworth, kind of funny name, but absolutely amazing man of God. And he says, the reason the world is not seeing Jesus is that Christian people are not filled with Jesus. They're satisfied with attending meetings weekly, reading the Bible occasionally, and praying sometimes. It is an awful thing for me to see people who profess to be Christians, lifeless, powerless, and in a place where their lives are so parallel to unbelievers that it is difficult to tell which place they're in, whether in the flesh or in the spirit. And that just convicts me so much because I want to be a city on a hill. I want to look like Jesus. I want people to be able to pick out the fact that I'm a believer from the way that I live my life. And to think that there have been periods of my walk with the Lord where my life looked no different. I wasn't changing the music that I was listening to or the shows that I was watching, the way that I was dressing. Just, I mean, I, I could be in a crowd of atheists. You would not have been able to pick me out, except maybe that I was wearing a cross necklace. And ladies, I'm here to tell you that that is not the way to be identified as a Christian, which I'm sure we all know. And so I want us to look at fearing God in the Bible and how it's not just an Old Testament concept, but it is mentioned many times in the New as well as from the mouth of Jesus. And so I believe that to know God is to fear him. And so we're going to start in Isaiah, Isaiah 33, 6. And he, I'm going to sub in for pronouns, and God will be the stability of your times, a wealth of salvation, wisdom, and knowledge. The fear of the Lord is our treasure. So Isaiah is equating the fear of the Lord to treasure. That's significant. And then we see in Proverbs, Proverbs 2, 1 through 5, my son, if you will receive my words and treasure my commandments within you, Make your ear attentive to wisdom. Incline your heart to understanding. For if you cry for discernment, lift your voice for understanding. If you seek her as silver and search for her as for hidden treasures, then you will discern the fear of the Lord and discover the knowledge of God. I don't know about you, but I deeply want to know God. And I believe that 
when we know him, we will have a holy, reverent fear for him. Because, I mean, how can you stand in front of the creator of the universe, the creator of all things, our very own maker, and not tremble with at least a little bit of fear? So then in Proverbs 9.10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. So in order to be wise, we must first start with fearing God. That's really significant, guys. Let's take the Bible at base value. And when it says things like this, we really need to incline our ears to listen and start to apply that to our lives. And so even Jesus, like I said, tells us to fear God. So in Luke 12, 4 through 6, he says, I say to you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body. And after that, have no more they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear the one who, after he has killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two cents? Yet not one of them is forgotten before God. So we are to fear God as a believer. We are not to fear God because he could change his mind about us and cast us into hell. But he is sovereign and he has the ability to determine where we go. He holds our future in his hands. So we should absolutely fear him. But I love what Jesus is also pointing out here is that we're not to be afraid of those who can kill the body. We're not to be afraid of the adversary, the devil, who can attack us or oppress us. We're not to fear him because he can only touch so much. But God is the one who holds our spirit in his hands. In 1 Peter 1, 14 through 17, it says, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts, which were yours in your ignorance. But like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior. Because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. If you address as Father the one who impartially judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay on earth. Now, a couple interesting points here. This is the New Testament. I think we have a lot of talk, even in Christian circles, well, especially in Christian circles, about legalism. And I want to just define that term. That term specifically refers to working in order to gain salvation. So you do all of the right things, and then you are acceptable in God's eyes. That isn't accurate at all based on scripture, because it is by faith that we've been saved. We often talk about legalism as being this, this thing to be avoided, and I think many believers interpret that to mean that being too religious or being too rules-based in our lives, that that should be avoided as well. But here, scripture is clearly telling us that we are to be holy in our behavior. It's not about rules. It's about fearing God. It's about taking God seriously and loving God seriously. You know, love as represented in the word, isn't about feelings necessarily, though I would say that my love for the Lord definitely elicits some feelings, but it is about 
choice. It is, I love God. And therefore, because he's given me his word so graciously to know what pleases him and what doesn't please him, in order to show my love to him, I am going to obey him. I'm going to fear him and submit myself to him so that I can be holy because he's holy. And friends, God never asks us to give up the things that were intended for us. He doesn't ask us to give up things to be a killjoy. He says, shed the old. It was never who you were made to be. It was never the thing you were intended to live in. That place of anxiety and overwhelm and worry and fear and exhaustion and lust and comparison and jealousy and envy and bitterness. I mean, those don't sound good, right? God's asking us to give those things up. He's like, trade in the old for the new, for the peace, for my rest, for my joy. Trade in for those things. It's an upgrade. It's an upgrade. And so, We should be encouraged when we hear scripture like this. Yes, it will convict us. It's supposed to, but the Lord's conviction is from a place of love. He convicts those he loves because he wants to call us higher. It is not to throw us into shame, condemnation, and guilt. We know, again, from the word that we don't live in that place. And that if we're feeling those things, that the enemy is trying to keep us in a place where we are so discouraged by our failure that we stop trying, that we cave into complacency or hopelessness and despair. We stay away from our quiet time with the Lord because we just feel like we haven't measured up enough. None of that applies here. God has covered you completely in his blood to wash you white as snow, wearing the robe of righteousness. And if you missed last week's message, please go back and listen to it. Because when we work out of our orphan spirit, out of that orphan mentality, that is where these kinds of things start to open up to us. And we are able to receive correction. We're able to receive conviction, not as condemnation, not as shame, but as the way forward the way into the new. Um, Another point from this first Peter passage at the very end, he says, conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay on earth. This is massive. Do you sit and think about the fact that our time here is temporary before our forever life begins? We will live this life for way shorter a time than our forever life. And in our forever life, we will have all of our needs met. We will have complete, pure intimacy with the Lord and all the believers that we know and don't know from past, present, future. I mean, that's, that's exciting. That gets me excited. And we ought to live this life as if we only have one life to spend on God because we are going to be instantly perfected once we get to heaven. All the temptations that we face daily, gone. All of the patterns of sin in our lives, gone. We will just be blissed out. That's at least how I see it in my head. And we sure could wait until that day and give ourselves that excuse of, well, nobody's going to be perfect till heaven, which, yes, this is true. But if we wait to look like Christ once we're in heaven around everybody else who's already gotten through the gates We are spending our lives here selfishly because 
God is inviting us into a relationship where he comes to dwell in us. And when we fear him and we submit ourselves to him so that that light can shine to the world, that is a life well spent. That is a life well spent. We want to spend our lives on Jesus to give him like Mary with the perfume where the disciples said she's wasting it. I want to waste my life on Jesus because it isn't a waste. It may look like a waste to the world, but I'm not here to please the world. We're here to please God. And so let's go into a little bit of the practical side of fearing the Lord. What is that exactly? We're not talking about fear. You know, it says God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of love and of power and a sound mind. So we're not talking about that kind of fear, but I think this short snippet from C.S. Lewis's book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe actually does a great job of showing just what I mean by fearing God. So Mr. Beaver is saying, don't you know who is the king of beasts? Aslan is a lion, the lion, the great lion. And Susan says, oh, I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. And Mrs. Beaver chimes in, that you will, dearie, and no mistake. If there's anyone who can appear before Aslan without their knees knocking, they're either braver than most or else just silly. Lucy, then he isn't safe? Mr. Beaver, safe? Don't you hear what Mrs. Beaver tells you? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king. Like, just let that sink in for a second. Of course God isn't safe. He's good. He is powerful. And here when we're talking about safe, he's not tame. No one can contain our God. He is all powerful. He brought the earth into existence with his very words and could bring it to destruction in an instant with the same words, with the same mouth. That same ability to create and destroy that ultimate power, that's our God. He's good. Every fruit of the Spirit actually applies to Father God as well. Did, did you know that? Did, did you realize that? All of those attributes of the Spirit are God's attributes. He is kind, patient, gentle, loving, he is peaceful and joyful. He's also just, and he can be a vengeful God towards his enemies. But the good news is that we are no longer enemies of God. We who were far off have been brought near, and now we get to enjoy intimacy with him. And so, so intimacy sometimes does look a little bit like fear. You know, we see many accounts in the Bible where people encounter the presence of God and they tremble, they jump back, fall on their faces. He is intense, but fearing the Lord is also having awe and reverence for him. And of course, fearing the Lord is submissiveness. And now I like to throw around unpopular words like submission because it's in the Bible. And here at Timeless Motherhood, we do not cave to culture. We just don't do it. If it's in the Bible, no matter how much it grates against my flesh, and especially if it does, I want to lean in. That shows me areas where I need to grow by letting go of what I desire 
what I think, what I rationalize and justify for myself and submitting myself to the Lord and what he says, what he has designed, what he desires for me. When I first got saved, intimacy with God was kind of just pure and innocent and childlike. My very first moment with God when I came to salvation, I physically felt his presence come on me. I had tingles and warmth on my body. It felt like he took this blanket made of love itself. And in that instant, I started to weep. I mean, I just bawled like a baby. I instantly felt grief over my sin, but I also was met with the most tangible sense of love and belonging and acceptance. There was nothing about it that felt like rejection, but it was just knowing that I messed up. And even yet, he loved me and had been pursuing me all along to bring me back into his family. And I'll link my testimony if you want to listen to the full thing. But it's it, it just, I don't know, starting off my faith journey with that kind of experience, it just took my faith to a whole nother level. There was no denying God at that point. I mean, I met God that day. And so from there on out, it was, it was just beautiful. I received visions from the Lord. I don't know if I was having spiritual dreams at the time, but just talking to him and really hearing from him and being able to have dialogue. And, and I want to ask you guys, because I know that this experience, what I've experienced personally is not a formula. It's not, if you haven't experienced this, then you don't have real faith. That is not what I'm saying at all. So I would love to know in the comments, what does it feel like, sound like, you know, what have you experienced when you've been in the presence of the Lord? It varies so much from person to person. And I think it would be really cool just to see what that looks like for different people. And then also, if you've never experienced any kind of tangible connection with God, I would love for you to be bold enough to comment that too, so that we can pray for you specifically that God would meet you in a moment of quiet time where you are humbling yourself and seeking after him, that he would come to you in a way that you would know beyond a shadow of a doubt that he is real, that he is present, and he wants to meet with you. So comment that below. It, it was just a beautiful period of my walk with the Lord. And his word was kind of my sole guide. I came to faith through a church, but it was also through a relationship that ended shortly thereafter. And so I was just in the word. I did start going to a church, but I mean, church is only a couple hours on Sunday. So all the other time I was just spending in the word, listening to sermons sometimes. But guys, when you read God's word plainly, it is a radical picture that it paints. And I'm going to give you two passages that I absolutely love. Matthew 6, 24 through 26. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? I know we've probably heard that before, but like really read that sometime. 
This is not a casual relationship. Jesus isn't a fling. He's not a tender hookup. He is a ride or die, a poop or get off the pot kind of relationship. It's like either you're in or out. There isn't this lukewarm place of comfort as much as some of us might like to stay there. I mean, in Revelation, it talks about the church of Laodicea being neither hot or cold, getting spat out. Like, God's serious about fearing him, about taking our relationship with him seriously. And in Romans 12, 1 through 2, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, his mercy, we live in his mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. That's worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Man, like, don't you want to be able to know what God's will is? There is God's permissive will, which is what most of us walk around in every day, where God allows us to live this way or that way. And then there is God's perfect, good, and pleasing will, where we are actually living the life that God planned for us. There's a big difference, friends. There is a life that God allows us to choose for ourselves. Calvinism brought a lot of these ideas in that God has already orchestrated and ordained everything that will happen. And to some degree, I believe that too. But there, I think, is a difference between just living life kind of on the sidelines, like, well, I'm in the river, I'm in the tubi, and we're just, we're going down. God already laid out the river, so there's no way for me to get outside of his will I just want to say right here, you can miss God's will for your life. I experienced that in my own family growing up where my parents got radically saved and were on fire for the Lord. Sadly, I was pretty young, so I don't remember a ton of this period of life. My dad had an incredible call in his life to leave real estate development behind and build a Christian community with a training center and a church and a school and real estate, a housing community, but build this incredible Christian community for people to be a part of. And instead, he chose a different project that led him to some other choices. And within a year, two years time, my parents' marriage completely disintegrated and they got a divorce. And that my friends, is how we miss the will of God. That wasn't God's will for my family. That was the enemy's plan. And sadly, my dad succumbed to, succumbed, I don't know if that's a word, he fell. He fell for the tricks. And and that's, that's what I want to encourage us to avoid by recognizing we have a part to play in partnering with God and walking out his will for our lives for our families, for our children. It's really important. And again, it all comes back to taking God seriously and fearing him. So what are the things that kill our fear for the Lord and that intimacy that comes out of taking him seriously? Well, fearing other things. (laughs) And honestly, all idolatry 
really can be traced back to a root in a fear of losing something. There was a season where my marriage became an idol. I was so afraid of continuing on a path where I was wanting to pursue God more than my husband. And he had been a believer for a long time. Like he was more mature and stable and kind of where he was at. And I was just fireball for God, but also immature. And so in my immaturity, I started to get fearful that if I kept growing in the Lord, it was going to cause division between us. Wasn't he supposed to be our spiritual leader in our home? And well, if he's not doing that, then how am I supposed to honor him and honor God? And before we were ever wives, before we were ever mothers, we were daughters. We are daughters of God. He is always at the top. My friend, Anna McLaughlin, she calls it the hierarchy of covenants. And I just love that. Our covenant with God is always at the top. Then our covenant with our husband, then our covenant to our children, and so on and so forth, community. And, and so we have to remember that our highest order covenant is with God. I have a sweet, sweet friend who is walking out some challenges in her family where her husband is a different sect of Christianity than she is. And they have children that they're raising together and, you know, going to one church one Sunday and going to a different church another Sunday. And, you know, she's just been such an encouragement and such uh, an example to me of someone who is both honoring her husband loving and respecting him, especially in front of her children, but also seeking to honor the Lord in the way that she is raising her children. And it's so beautiful to be around women like that who are walking difficult circumstances, but choosing to fear God above all else. And you know what? There's so much blessing in that. God has blessed that even on the hard days. God has blessed that and has used that in a lot of ways to start steering her husband back towards a more solid foundation in Christ. And so, so going back to this, though, our fear of losing things, our idolatry, putting things above God, that's what kills our fear of him. And the reverse is true that when we fear God, it trumps our fear of other things. There there are scary things that happen in this world. Becoming a mom, I don't know. I mean, during those early months, the fear of dropping my son, the fear of something bad happening to him if I take him out in public, COVID being a thing. And, you know, it's just we could come up with a laundry list of things to be afraid of. And yet none of those things should strike fear in us. Why? Because our security doesn't come from our circumstances our security comes from the Lord. And my promise here is that we will always go deep. If you don't like it in the deep end, there's a place online for everybody. But that's just what we do here. And so in light of how crazy the world continues to get, we need to really sincerely think about how much we would be willing to withstand to claim God as our Lord and Savior. I remember the Columbine shooting, and, I, and I'm not trying to intentionally trigger anyone here, but I think it's really important that we really consider the cost, that we think all the way up to that point and go, would I 
not even love my life even unto death? Would I try to save my life by denying Christ? Becoming a disciple will cost us. And I think it's time that we wake up and realize that there's a lot of people who don't like Christians and it's not always because we're hateful. Sometimes it is because we're hateful. And I I praise the Lord that he is growing us up and out of that so that we really look like Christ. But guys, Jesus was not hateful. He was truthful. People hated him. Some people loved him. Some people hated him. Salvation is free, but to become a disciple, a true follower, one who fears God above all else, that will cost us things. We will have to sacrifice. We will have to die to our flesh. You want to go there with me? Let's be sold out for Christ. Let's be sold out together. Let's encourage each other in running this race well, in honoring the Lord in the things that we do in our homes, in our communities, in our relationships. And so when we make that decision, that begins transformation in Christ. Because until we are surrendered, we can profess faith and still hold on to all of our lives. Like every part. Be like, no, God, I, you're real. I get it. You're real. I don't want to go to church. I don't like church people. Or I've been hurt. Like, I get it. The Bible's good, but I don't really want to read the word. It's boring or doesn't make sense to me. When we fear the Lord, we submit, we surrender to him. And these are the signs of that surrender. This is what that surrender produces. The fruit of the Spirit. Matthew 7, 16 through 17 says, You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. I want to be a good fruit. I want to to be a good tree that produces good fruit. And so we surrender our tree to be remade. That's the new creation that we get to live out. It's so exciting. And then the next thing is that the light of Christ radiates from us. In Matthew 5, 14 through 16, it says, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. And then that just makes me think of in Exodus 34, where Moses was in the presence of the Lord. And when he came down from the mountain, his face was shining. Like that is so beautiful. And I can't remember where I shared this, maybe a previous episode, but my my mom's own salvation testimony is that there was a woman who looked like Jesus not literally. (laughs) She had the warmth and the love and the joy radiating out of her. And my mom at the time was suffering from severe depression. They had diagnosed her bipolar and she was really struggling. And she saw this woman and she was like, wow, I need that. I want what she's got. And it was Jesus. And like, that is such a beautiful thing to be able to bring people to Christ because of the joy and the love of Christ that radiates from us. Are you, are you radiating his fruit, the fruit of his spirit in your life? 
Is that light radiating from you? And I don't say this to condemn you, but I want to encourage you. God's inheritance for us is not anxiety. It's not depression. It's not overwhelm. It's not fear. He has rest for us. He has joy and peace for us. He doesn't have a perfect life and perfect circumstances. But you know what shines all the brighter is when we exude his light and his love in the middle of dark times. I was listening to a video from Milena Ciciotti, which I just absolutely love her transformation of being lukewarm, and she'll say it herself, to, I mean, running wholeheartedly after the Lord. But she was talking about some friends of hers who had twin baby girls in the NICU, and just how during that season, you would have never known that they were going through such turmoil. And it was not toxic positivity. It was Christ sustaining them through this hardship. It was the love of God permeating them where they were sacrificing their desires. They were laying their fear on the altar and saying, God, you are sovereign. You're in control here. We trust you. And they were able to live with joy during that season. I mean, that's incredible. I want that. I want that. And I pray that for you. I pray that for every person listening to this, that we would surrender so fully to the Lord, that he would do that beautiful exchange with us where we give him our mess and we really let it go to him. And guys, what he gives us in return is more valuable than gold. Like it is really the stuff that satisfies. And so I always do this, get ahead of my points. We will respond differently to our circumstances than the world. Are we responding to our circumstances differently than the world. I don't want to look like an unbeliever when I face hard times. I want to look like somebody who knows that there's a greater purpose on my life than sitting around waiting for this or that before I can fully live. When we know the character of God in a deeply meaningful way and we choose to trust that, then then we are able to walk in freedom. Romans 8.28, we know that God causes all things to work together for the good of those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. And let's not misunderstand or, or misapply this verse. Sometimes things don't work out, even if it's God's perfect plan. But what do we think God means by our good? Our good is looking like Christ. Our good is the transformation of our lives to bring many to salvation. That's, that's the good. That is the eternally good, the eternally valuable. I do believe that God blesses us. And the Bible is very representative of God blessing in material ways, through children, through kindnesses and friendships and relationships. But God, especially this side of the cross, while we were waiting for the return of Christ, he is concerned with the Great Commission and the good of bringing everyone good news. So how do we go from maybe fearing the Lord where we're afraid of him, afraid to be intimate? How do we grow in intimacy with God? 
and fear him the way he wants us to fear him. It's more than just doing the right thing. We need to know who God is. We need to know who we are to him and we need to experience him often. I did grow up in a little bit of a charismatic background. Now, I don't think it's a requirement that we feel God physically, but you know if you've encountered God. You know. It just, there's no like, well, was it, was it? You know. And if you don't know, it's possible that you haven't had that experience with him yet. And I say yet because I believe that God deeply desires to encounter his children often and genuinely. And so in a few minutes, we are going to pray for that. But in Psalm 25, 14, it says, The secret of the Lord is for those who fear him, and he will make them know his covenant. I want to know the secrets of the Lord. I mean, doesn't that just scream intimacy to you? Like if somebody tells you their secrets, that's an intimate relationship. You don't just tell your secrets to anybody. You don't go to the McDonald's drive-thru and tell them your secrets. I mean, maybe if you're doing some sort of TikTok trend or something, but like legitimately guys, we don't tell our secrets to people we don't trust, who aren't committed to us, who aren't in relationship with us. And so when we are in relationship with God, when we fear him, the secret of the Lord is made known to us. And so growing in intimacy, we need to spend time with the Lord. I will never throw out, it has to be this amount of time, this often, but you know where there are pockets of time. I'm currently in a season where we're still nursing. He sometimes sleeps through the night, sometimes doesn't. It's a little sporadic. And I've really wrestled over the last few months with, okay, God, is, is there grace for me in this season? You know, like, yes, there is. There is always grace. But I've also had to ask myself, am I sacrificing anything for God? Or am I just asking him for grace for this season to just take what I have, which is whenever I feel like it, feel like I have the energy? Or am I willing to sacrifice a little bit of sleep? and trust that he's going to fill in the gaps and ask him to take the 30 minutes in the morning. The The Bible says, seek him and you will find him. Knock and the door will be open to you. I talk a lot about God pursuing me because I do believe that, especially when I was not saved, God pursued relationship with me. And I don't think that God necessarily runs away after we get saved and is like, all right, you got to come find me. He's not far from us. But I think sometimes we get caught up in praying prayers like, God, I need you to speak really loudly to me, really clearly, because I'm not really listening. <laughs> I'm not really setting aside time to still my mind and wait on you. I need you to do all the legwork to come after me. Like, think about, think about if we made our husbands chase us like that. We're like, I don't really have time for you. I want you to have a really good relationship with me. But I'm just going to be doing my own thing. You got to come track me down. Pin me down and, you know, talk to me. Tell me that you love me. Tell me all these things while I'm just out here living my life. Like, we've got to seriously consider 
how we can treat the God of the universe, the God who died for us that way, and ask ourselves, do we really fear him? Are we taking him seriously to treat him that way? To treat him like his word is boring and it would be crazy to spend an hour reading our Bibles or praying when it wouldn't be crazy to spend an hour watching TV or The Bachelor. Like these are real questions we need to ask ourselves. Are we idolizing garbage over the God of the universe? Are we taking him seriously? And if if you are, if you've been making steps in that direction, I want to encourage you. That is amazing. And we're going to continue that this season of Timeless Motherhood. We're just, we're going and whoever wants to join, let's get on board. We're going to keep going for these hard places and unearthing things. There might be some times where you feel frustrated, offended, like too much is being asked. This is all between you and the Lord. And I really want to encourage you, take these things to him. This isn't just a podcast where we talk about God. I want to help facilitate conversations with God. So we are going to take the next few minutes to pray. And in the last episode, we tried a listening prayer exercise. And I'd love to do that again. And then I will pray over everyone. But I want to encourage you to grab a notebook, a journal, you can grab your phone notes, and we're going to ask God a question. I'm going to say the question. You repeat the question out loud if you're able to, wherever you are, and listen. You can pause this if you're listening to the repeat. I'm not going to pause for too, too long, but we're going to write down first impressions. Maybe you are used to hearing God when you're in prayer, and maybe this is totally new to you. But I just want to encourage you, the first thing that pops into your head when you ask this question, just jot it down. And then later in your quiet time, you can take that back to the Lord, pray through it. I've been trying to implement less processing and more praying, where I am in a conversation with God, talking through the things that are going through my mind instead of me just thinking about things without any input from the person who made me. So, okay, first question, Lord, do I fear you? And the next question, Lord, what is something that I fear more than you? And lastly, God, what is one way you want me to sacrifice for you? Or one thing you want me to sacrifice for you? And if you so feel led to share in the comments, I would love to join you in praying over those things. So whether you're listening to this live or in the future, feel free to share whatever you want to share so that you can be cheered on by this community who loves you and is for you and is for you continuing to grow in intimacy with God. So Lord, I thank you so much for the opportunity that we have to be in relationship with you, that you counted us worthy of your own death in order to restore relationship with us. God, would you help us not to take that for granted? Would you help us to experience you 
in a way that we can really latch on to, that we can hold on to the truth and the reality of who you are. And Lord, would you also bring your word to life with us this week, that as we determine to spend time in your word, renewing our minds and not being conformed to this world, but renewing our minds in your truth and what you say about yourself, about us, about your son, Lord, would you, would you help us to, to get more out of it? If we struggle to understand, Lord, would you things to us, would you start to bring pieces together to remind us of just this beautiful tapestry that you've woven? And Lord, would we, would we fear you this week and every day of our lives, knowing that you really are real, that your word really is true, and that we really can trust in you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, friends, that's all for this week's episode of Timeless Motherhood. You can listen to us on podcasting platforms, or you can join us live every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern time over on YouTube Live to join the conversation, have your prayer requests prayed for, and until next time, be blessed.